Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. A few years ago, Thompson Holidays put out a hilarious advert of a family going away on holiday. Two kids, a wife and an oversized hairy ogre called Simon. It begins with Simon in bed the night before their family holiday, having nightmares about a stressful, miserable day at work. In the next scene, they arrive at a beautiful holiday location somewhere in the Mediterranean. He's watching his kids play. Other dads are having fun with their family. He's kind of trying to have fun but he's still an ogre. He's grumpy and a bit distracted. Then on the second day of the holiday, he runs into the sea and he comes out his old self again, relaxed and happy. Now I wonder, do you relate to that? I do, except that it normally takes me about five days to relax on holiday and stop walking around at 100 miles an hour and getting stressed about little things that don't really matter. That's why I try and take two weeks off at a time now. But anyway. I promise that I'm not on commission for Thompson, although they are very good holidays. But the reality uh, is that for many of us, that's how we feel. A bit like Simon the Ogre, a bit overwhelmed by our many responsibilities, family, work, church, kids clubs, trying to fit it all of everything in that we want to do amongst everything we feel we have to do. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel like uh, every moment of my life is in the calendar plan now until the second coming. Many times I found myself counting down the days until my next holiday when it feels like, if even for a short time, I can relax and come alive again. Now, if this all feels a bit too close to the bone, then I have good news. There is another way to live. That means we can live fully alive in the middle of the normal day to day, not just reserved for two weeks a year, but a daily lived reality. And not only is it possible, but it's something that God has promised to us. So in this series, we are taking uh, through May and June. It's called the Summer of Blessing, exploring Psalm 23, one of the most loved and best known Psalms in the Bible. Now, the word Psalm literally means song. And the book of Psalms is a collection of 150 songs and prayers that have been sung and prayed for thousands of years. This is quite an amazing thing. Now, Over the course of this series, we're going through Psalm 23, verse by verse. The whole of this psalm unpacks the implications of the first five words. The Lord is my shepherd. It's exclusively, this psalm is exclusively about what God has done and will do for us and actually is already doing for us, which is totally independent of anything we might do for him. These promises are all one way from God to us. God is the subject of this psalm. We are the object. God is active. We are passive. God is doing everything. And other than trusting him to do what he is saying he will do, we aren't doing anything at all. Now, David, the man that wrote this psalm, spent many years as a boy working as a shepherd. And he wrote this psalm much later in his life as he reflected on how the Lord had taken care of him 
over the years. Anyway, I'm going to read this whole psalm out and then I'm going to focus on the verse that we're looking at today. So let's read it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The verse we're going to focus on today is verse 3. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. So let's take this phrase by phrase and then we'll put it all together and we'll see uh, how this incredible promise applies to us today. Firstly, he refreshes my soul. The Hebrew word that is translated refresh or restore literally means to bring back or to return. So literally saying he brings back my soul. Now the way that the biblical writers use the word soul is very different to how most people use it today, even Christians. If you ask most people what the word soul means, they normally say something like, the spiritual part of you that goes on after your physical body dies. Now, some of you might be nodding along to this and saying that's true. And actually, that's how the Cambridge Dictionary defines it. It says the spiritual part of a person that some people believe to continue exist in some form after the body has died or the part of the person that is not physical and experiences deep feelings and emotions. Now, the reality is that these ideas about the soul find their origin in Viking mythology and Greek philosophy popularised in modern psychology. But actually, this is not what the Bible means when it says soul. In the Bible, the soul, uh, which comes from the Hebrew word nephesh, means a living person, a life. So from the biblical perspective, you don't have a soul, you are a soul. Now, when someone sends out an SOS message, SOS means save our souls. They're not saying save the spiritual part of me, but don't worry about my body. They're like, help. Now, why is this important? The phrase, he restores my soul, is better translated as he restores my life or he refreshes my life. Or another way of translating it is, he brings me back. Now, these two ways of translating it give us two sides of an amazing promise. So let's take them one at a time. The first one, let's take the first part. He restores my life. Or you could say it like this. He makes me come alive again. Now, Becky and I have been trying uh, fairly unsuccessfully to grow herbs in a little tray on our windowsill. The only problem is we're not very good at remembering to water them. So it doesn't look, uh, take very long, sorry, before they look pretty sad, wilted and droopy. But when we give them a good soaking, it actually isn't long before they perk up and look great. This is what God does for us. When we're feeling weak, exhausted, defeated, hopeless, a bit wilted, sad or anxious, 
God restores our life. The great promise that he's captured in this psalm is that God makes me come alive again. He gives you the energy. He helps you relax. He restores your inner peace. You see things from a different perspective. He just, oh, just makes you feel well and excited about God all over again. It's very disappointing when all the other things in our life that we hope will restore our souls actually don't because they can't not for long anyway. I actually saw a meme on Facebook recently of a high rise building that was leaning to one side, evidently close to collapse, held up by three iron girders. And on the building was the phrase, my mental health. And the three girders were labeled the fellowship of the ring, the two towers and the return of the king. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a bit too real to me. Whether it's a movie marathon, shopping or the next holiday, they are at best temporary distractions from the lifelessness we experience in our overly busy and pressurised lives. But the Lord makes me come alive again. You might legitimately ask, well, how do you close the gap between this promise and my day-to-day -day lived experience? And that's a really, really good question. My simple answer is this, slow down. Learn to become present to God throughout your day and you will come alive again. Pete Scazzaro, the brilliant author of the Christian book series on emotional health writes, you can't live at warp speed without warping your soul. A lot of people have said to me that during the various COVID lockdowns, how good it was to have a quieter, simpler life. For many of us, it gave us the opportunity to slow down, spend time on things that really matter. The danger is now that life has gone back to normal is that we've just gone back to how life was before. So God has promised to refresh our lives, make us come alive again. The question is, how do we engage with that? How does that become a reality? For me, as someone who is uh, very prone to the tendency to lean towards stress, uh, one of the most important practices that I've discovered is that of silence, slowing down, being still for long enough to, come, to become aware of the presence of God. I started developing uh, habits of practicing silence about three years ago during COVID when I found that the pressure of leadership and life far much greater than the practices of my faith at that time could handle. Initially, I found uh, my uh, taking time in silence very uncomfortable as I was overwhelmed by all the endless things I felt I needed to do and everything else I hadn't actually been taking the time to process. But honestly, I have found it transformational, so much so that silence is my default. I find silence before God to be the spiritual equivalent of finding an oasis in the middle of a desert. The Christian practice of silence is not like popular forms of meditation or mindfulness, which involve clearing the mind and just emptying. The Christian practice of silence is the deliberate discipline of slowing down enough to become aware of the life-giving presence of God. So, if this is not something that you do right now, I can't encourage you enough to begin cultivating this practice. You can start five minutes a day. If that's too much, try a minute, but keep going. And if you do it every day, you'll notice that it will grow and grow and grow. If I find myself to be very distracted, restless or anxious, I find it helpful to go through four questions in prayer as I begin. 
Number one, what am I anxious about? Number two, what am I sad about? Number three, what am I angry about? And four, what am I glad about? Last week, I was actually very anxious about a particular situation. I entered my prayer time very distracted, afraid, and actually a bit angry. And I talked to God about it and set my phone timer for 10 minutes of silence. And after uh, several minutes, I started to relax. And as I did, I suddenly got a really clear picture of, in my mind of a tiny grain of sand. I was fixated on it. I could almost feel it. And then suddenly it was gone, swept away by a huge river. And I felt the Lord say to me, this tiny thing that you're so upset and agitated about is nothing compared to the vastness of my love and power. I felt a little bit silly and a huge wage of relief. And, and, and sure enough, the issue was resolved as though it had never been an issue in the first place. So the first way of interpreting that phrase in the psalm is he makes me come alive again. The second uh, sense of this is he brings me back. So I want to talk about this now. The question is, therefore, what is it that the Lord is bringing, uh, promising to bring me back from and what is he bringing me back to? The next part of the verse, he leads me by right paths or he leads me by paths of righteousness, helps us to make sense of it. In other words, you could say, he brings me back and leads me along the right path again. Now, the primary image of this passage is the relationship between a shepherd and their sheep. And while the image of the Lord, our God, being a shepherd is very comforting, the image of us uh, being like sheep is not very flattering at all. Sheep are very vulnerable creatures. They're easily frightened. They're, they're very vulnerable to predators. Uh, they have a tendency to wander off and get themselves into all sorts of trouble. And Jesus tells a parable about a shepherd that had a hundred sheep and one wanders off and he asks the question, well, what did the shepherd do? He's like, well, of course, he left the 99 that was safe to go after the one that didn't realise the danger that it was now in. Sheep are cute. They look very cuddly, but they are fairly stupid animals. I just love that. Isn't Jesus so kind when he calls us his sheep? The point is this, just like sheep wander away from the shepherd, we wander away from God all the time and we get ourselves in trouble. You know, it might be slowly losing interest in God, becoming apathetic or indifferent, neglecting prayer and time we spend reading and studying and applying the word of God, you know, the Bible, or other things that become more of a priority and eventually take over, whether it's our hobbies or work, just becoming far too busy, doing more for God than our life with God can sustain. Maybe it's stopping connecting with other Christians and becoming isolated, thinking we don't really need other people or forgetting the many promises in the Bible of God's love, his power, his protection, his provision, trying to sort out our problems without him and getting frustrated and then convincing ourselves he doesn't care. Or maybe it's getting caught up in an ideology or value that our world holds so dear and yet is in conflict with the gospel of Jesus Christ and just going along with the crowd. Or maybe it's making bad decisions and getting caught up in a way of living that just isn't consistent with a life committed to loving and following Jesus. It could be lots of different things and I have done all of them. The problem is that we don't realise the danger we put ourselves in when we wander off. But God does. And this is the amazing 
promise of God, he will bring us back and put us on the right path again. So how does that God do that? Well, it might be a friend that reaches out to see how you're doing. Or it might be randomly remembering a, a song or a verse from the Bible. Or a sudden thought that what I'm doing right now isn't right. Or wondering, wait a minute, why am I doing this? Or him putting in us a new desire for God. You know, a wise friend once said to me, God doesn't lead by guilt. He leads by longing. So I wonder, have you suddenly realised that you feel distant from God? Amazing! That is the Lord already working in you to bring you back. Don't feel guilty thinking, oh, I'm so bad, I've let it slip. There's no hope for me and stay stuck. Be happy. Thank him for not forgetting you when we've forgotten about him. Do you feel a desire to pray more or to read the Bible? That's the Lord bringing you back. Don't feel guilty for not doing those things. Confess it, but turn back. Thank him that he has not neglected you. Do you have a sudden conviction uh, that you're doing something and living in such a way that does not honour God? Well, praise God, because that's the Lord bringing you back. Ask for forgiveness and help to make whatever changes you need to make and walk the right path again. You know, I love the promise in the book of Philippians. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfil his good purpose. God leads by longing. As we think about this psalm, do you see how amazing this promise is? Do you have any idea how much the Lord loves you? Do you have any idea? Do you see how committed he is to you? If you have made the Lord your shepherd, if you have put your trust in him, he will not let you go. So many of us fear getting things wrong and or leaving the right path and or worrying that we have and maybe we have and we feel guilty about it and we can end up living under a bit of a cloud of sort of guilt and condemnation. But the Bible says that while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. When we showed no interest in him, when we deliberately wandered away from him, he gave his life to bring us back, to make us right with God, to forgive us of our sin, to give us a clean slate, a new start, to turn his enemies into his children. But he's already done that. That's the hardest thing, but he's done it. How much more now that when we belong to him, will he ensure our eternal security? That's the easy bit. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me an extraordinary sense of relief. It means I don't need to worry about whether I've blown it or not because he's always leading me home. He's promised that one day I will be with him and you will be with him and we will see our shepherd face to face because he's given his life to make sure that would happen. That future is certain. Nothing can ever change that. And he will do everything that he needs to to lead us back not because of how great we are, but all because of how great he is. He will bring us back. So the final question is this, why does he do that? It says, he restores my life. He leads me by right paths for his name's sake, not for the sake of our reputation. God is not worried about your reputation. He does it for the sake of his reputation. Or we put it this way, I'm far more concerned about my reputation than God is. And God is far more concerned about his reputation than I am. Now, going back to this, the picture of this passage, what do you think 
uh, people would think of a shepherd that didn't care if his sheep was lost? What would people say if they discovered that uh, the, sh the shepherd had discovered that one of his sheep was missing and didn't do anything about it? They'd be like, mate, you are not a good shepherd. I'm glad that I'm not one of your sheep or remind me never to ask you to look after my sheep when I go on holiday. The definition of neglect is to fail to care for properly. If God did not come after us when we wander and return us to the right path and bring us back under his care and protection, then he would be guilty of neglect. But he will bring us back. David, the man that wrote this psalm, was not a perfect man. He wandered from the right path many times and did things that many of us would say were actually unforgivable. But despite all that, David knew that God had never let go of him because David had made God his shepherd and he will never let go of you. Like that shepherd that relentlessly goes after the sheep that keep wandering, keeps wandering off, God kept bringing David back and David kept coming back. And so he writes at the end of this little wonderful psalm, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the question is really only this, will we allow him to? If you've become aware that maybe you've wandered away, praise God. That's already a sign that he is working in you to bring you back. Really the most practical thing you can do is pray, Lord, bring me back. And keep praying and trust that he will do what he needs to do and that he will show you the steps that you need to take. So let's finish by praying through this psalm together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.